Welcome to Public Power Underground, Northwest Public Power's premier weekly infotainment program that covers Northwest public power and public power adjacent news from a power department's perspective. So hey, public power people, on today's show, we'll get an update on Northwest power market on air reports, learn more about the BP22 rate case with PPC's Mike Dean, Get another double feature. This time, get updated on the Power Pools Resource Adequacy Program with Greg Carrington and Matt Shretnick. And as always, cover more public power and public power adjacent news on Public Power Desktop. I'm the voice of the underground and economic development manager for Klatskin IPUD, Brian Fawcett. I'm Paul Dockery, the manager of the power department and co-host of Public Power Underground. This is Aaron Guillory, the star of Aaron Reports, co-star of Public Power Underground and financial analyst for Klatskin IPUD. I'm the current power analyst for Glasgow IPD and co-star of Public Power Underground, Ian Bledsoe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad Ian the Incredible. Ian the Incredible. Ian the Incredible. <laughs> Man. Are we bringing back nicknames for Ian? Man. I'm open to it. I really like it. Incredible, so Ian the incredible. Uh, has one meaning that like it's super awesome or amazing, but the other meaning would be not believable. I think it really fits. <laughs> <laughs> perfect <laughs> roll with that let's roll with it <laughs> all right we're starting this week like most weeks checking in on power market indicators and fish in the northwest with our first segment aaron reports important shout out uh and fish this is aaron reports where we try to get up to speed on northwest market indicators and fish for april 21st 2021 I'm Aaron Guillory, and I've got your market update for the week. April September flows. The Dows are expected to be at 90% of normal, back up 2% from last week. Outflow with the Dows peaked over the past week at 158.2 KCFS on April 21st at 0700 hours. Midday elevation at Grand Coulee on April 20th was 1269.80, down a little under half a foot since last reported uh, last week. As peak outflows decreased from a peak of 143 and 5 KCFS on April 12th at 0800 hours to peak outflow of 137 and 3 KCFS on April 19th at 2800 hours. Checking on snow in the region using Ansergy's aggregation of basin data, the snow water equivalent for BC Hydro Generation Basin is 109.87% of normal for mid-sea 92.75% and aggregating all the snow in the Columbia River Basin that'll flow through the Bonneville Dam. They estimate there's a 110.57% of normal snow blanket. Spot, par- spot market power in the Northwest for delivery April 21st is at $38.25 with gas at $267 per mm BTU, translating to a spark spread of $19.57 and a heat rate of 15 grand. In term markets, bond per mid seed continues to climb up $1.60 from a week ago, now at $36.51 per megawatt hour. Mid seed power for quarter three 2021 is at $102.35 with Sumas gas at $333, translating to a heat rate of $30. Thousand seven hundred in bond markets. One California water district issued a taxable water revenue refunding borrowing for thirty nine million one hundred forty five thousand, with maturities due between twenty twenty two and twenty thirty seven, and average interest rates and yields of one hundred sixty five fifths. Taking a look at fish, fish, fish counts for adult spring Chinook this week. Three hundred three Chinook passed through Bonneville Dam on Monday, a two hundred and sixty five count up from last week. And spending a beat at Bonneville's balancing authority peak low this past week was 6,847 April 15th at 7.40 in the a.m. During low's peak, hydrogen was at uh, 7,482. Windgen was at 468 megawatts. Conventional units were at 464. And nuclear was at 1,034. This week in NOAA climate forecast, the 6 to 10-day outlook has tapped in the region with a 33 to 50% chance of being below normal, with some areas right in the normal range, getting warmer as you head east. Precipitation in the region has has a 33 to 50% chance of being above normal in our neck of the woods with northeastern areas in the normal range mixed bag as you travel east and southeast. Their 90-day report shows likelihood of a 33 to 60% chance of below normal precip. And that's all we've got for this update. Back to you, Brian. Thanks for the report, Aaron. I'm liking the increasing numbers of fish going over the dam. Yeah. That was wow. encouraging. <laughs> yes. The, I w- did want to know when we were going through the Dow's flows, it looked like it really took a jump this afternoon uh, after you recorded or after you took your, uh, took your reading. So it really jumped up. Is that some, yeah. is that snow melt finally or is there any preliminary? Uh, I know it's early, but we did have some nice weather last week. I was wondering if the flows would increase due to that. I do not know. Uh, looks like there was also some increased spill. I don't know if it corresponds because it's really correlated to this increased spill down here. 
very heavily correlated in okay. timing. Okay, next up is our weekly walk through Northwest Public Power and Public Power Adjacent News in a segment we like to call Public Power Desktop. We're big fans of clearing up at Public Power Underground and the public publication reached an amazing milestone last week with issue number 2000. Mark's editorial piece in the issue is well worth the read and we'd like to highlight two things. First, Mark notes the importance of the talented and dedicated assemblage of journalists. That tradition continues with the wonderful contributions of its team today. Second, his commentary on the power professional community that Clearing Up serves. Mark highlights their role in the power community as expressed in their editorial and style guide. Quote, we report useful and relevant industry news of all manner intended to inform, enlighten, and occasionally entertain our, our clients. We're not an energy industry adver adversary, nor its good and faithful servant. We seek to reflect the community as objectively as possible. We strive to report the facts without bias and to include as many relevant aspects of a story as feasible. We have no access to grind nor agendas to fill. Should we discover matters that reflect poorly on a client, we will report such information if it fits the criteria of useful and relevant news, end quote. Clearing up as a Northwest institution because of their contribution to our community. Congratulations to the team. Well done. Uh, really uh, like that they have an editorial and style guide. Maybe that would be useful for Public Power Underground. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a sequel style guide uh, developed by Griffin Haas when he was an intern here. I don't know that I have referenced the sequel style guide in the past four years. Have you, Ian? Uh, no, I uh, based my coding solely off my recollection of the style guide. It probably would be a good idea to, uh, or you know, make uh, mental mental uh, commitments to. Yeah, I'll, I'll come back and make this uh, in line with the style guide at some point. I think that's how I approach it, and then it never happens. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. So if we apply one of those to uh, Public Power Underground, is that how it's going to work too? <laughs> probably <laughs> probably <laughs> okay what do we got next closet <laughs> all right there's a lot going on in the rate processes including a settlement a proposal as described in rick adair's april 16th article in clearing up so to get up to speed we're leaning on special rate correspondent mike dean rate case correspondent mike dean sorry hey mike welcome back to public power underground thanks for having me paul it is great to have you. Um, I am lost in the rate process. I'm going to be very honest. There seems to be a bunch going on, including possibly a settlement conversation. Wanted to rely on you, the special rate case correspondent, uh, leverage your expertise to kind of give me an update on the rate process. So I'll, I'll try to break it down. I, I've been doing BPA rate cases for 15 years now, and this one's this one's pretty unique. We've got you know, a kind of an unprecedented settlement process that's really in flight right now, crazy negotiations over the last week. Uh, but we've got an offer on the table from Bonneville that would be a rate decrease for power customers. Uh, it encompasses a bunch of other things. Uh, can't even probably explain briefly, but the, the bottom line is we are really at the finish line potentially with the settlement. Parties are gonna say tomorrow, whether they object or not. If, uh, if there's enough critical mass, then BPA is gonna take that offer uh, that they put forward. They're gonna advance that uh, to the administrator for final approval. Um, and, and basically we're just waiting to see, uh, we're gonna, everyone's gonna put in their notes to Bonneville, whether they're on board or not. And then BPA is gonna take that in and we should know whether it's going forward pretty much by the end of the week. Um, and it's, it's an interesting process where, um, you know, there's no set level of, of, of support, you know, BPA is just going to have to make an evaluation, whether they think there's, there's going to be enough support. I think the PPC has been working really hard, uh, with, with our partners and public power and members to keep everyone together. Um, and I think, I think on the power side, there's a, a strong, strong amount of support. Uh, I think it's just going to come down to, to whether these folks on the transmission side, uh, feel like there's enough there for them. Uh, so that that's really where it is. And it's uh, it's just going to be continued to be dynamic here for a few days. Well, uh, dynamic is good to have experts like you in the room during those dynamic situations to make sure we're well represented. So thank you. 
Can you walk through how we got here, though, um, from the initial, because Bonneville did an initial proposal, and it sounds like usually the settlements, if there were, were to be a settlement, would happen before you started the rate case. So can you walk through from that initial proposal, there wasn't a settlement conversation yet, to how we got to a settlement conversation and what's unique about doing it now? Yeah, for BPA, it's 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 really unusual. Uh, in fact, there weren't even rules in the proceeding for how to how to go about this. So it's all been kind of figured out on the fly. Um, but essentially, as the case developed, everyone saw you know what they put in. Parties filed their BPA, put in their proposal first. Parties responded to that, and then we had a round of rebuttal testimony where everyone responded again. And you know. We've just been keeping the lines of communication open amongst the public power parties. And as it's developed, there's just been more and more interest in, you know, saying, can we just come to an agreement on this thing uh, that's not going to be perfect in every way because we want to get on to longer term conversations um, and kind of get to the root of some of these strategic issues uh, for BPA and not just argue about them in a rate case context. So it seemed like there is a path to potentially you know, get some rate relief perhaps. And then in combination with that, move on to kind of a more productive way to, to talk about these important issues, you know, particularly how BPA is using revenue financing going forward. So is, is the kind of the, the context for this, that that question of revenue financing, which was a question we've discussed in, as public power from the initial proposal um, throughout, we've been having conversations about it, is part of what we're trying to accomplish, moving some of that conversation to workshops to better understand a policy around revenue financing instead of just deciding it in a rate, in this rate case, in this BP22 rate case? That's exactly right. It's, you know, what can we what can we live with right now for this upcoming rate period? And then let's get to that. Let's get to that more considered, you know, process where we can have a lot more open dialogue. It's not just tossing a piece of testimony over the wall and, and seeing what comes back. Uh, Cause I think it's the, it's the kind of issue that's really complex, got a lot of facets and it, it's just much more productive to be able to have, just more more of a dialogue, more of a conversation uh, than than the rate case process that's really formal uh, allows. So that's kind of the balance we're trying to strike. And like I said, we'll see in the next couple of days if um, if this thing has legs. Otherwise, it's just back to business as usual. We file a legal brief. BPA puts out their draft decision. We can. You know, file some some response to that if we want, and then it, it's going to go for a, to the administrator ultimately for a final decision uh, in July. And then you know, one way or another, rates new rates have to go into effect on October one. So, it's so a that, this settlement conversation isn't delaying that July decision, right? They're trying to fit it into the existing timeline for understanding and making having the rod in July. That's exactly right. And that's, that's part of the challenge right now too, is, um, you know, how can we, how can everyone, you know, especially BPA, how can they determine whether there's enough critical mass support for this to put a little bit of a pause on the, the regular procedural schedule and get this done? Or do we need to kind of cut bait on this and get back to the regular process because there's not, there's not a lot of time for back and forth at the, at this point. So that's why, you know, it's been a really rapid compressed process to see if there's, if there can be some support uh, around this thing or, you know, whether we just got to get back to filing our briefs, doing oral argument, getting a draft record of decision, all that, all that normal process. Okay. Yeah. Like you said, there's, there's a hard stop at the end of this where BPA has got to ship, ship their record off to FERC and get the, get approval for rates to go into effect in October. Yep. Well, there's, it seems like there's a lot of words on pages that have to get written by somebody in all of these briefs and rebuttals and testimonies. So thank you for spending the time. I hope you get uh, some time to take breaks every once in a while because our best work does come with a rested mind, Mike. <laughs> Absolutely. I will be looking forward. Uh, I'll be looking forward to a break here as soon as we can get one. Okay. Well, thanks for coming back on. Please, please come back. 
um, and talk more about rates. Even after the rate proceedings are over, there's still plenty to talk about when it comes to revenue financing and all these workshops and all the different uh, different things. So let's do this again, Mike. Let's do it again. Anytime, Paul. Always happy to do it. Okay, we're going back to the underground for news. All right. PG&E, a primary California investor-owned utility, recently implemented their community microgrid enablement program to address risks of outage events and grid instability by providing technical and some financial support to microgrid construction. The program will focus on customers in designated boundaries, including places like hospitals and fire stations and those in high first threat districts. Uh, high fire threat districts, among others. High priority will be given to areas that have been disproportionately affected by pollution and customers on tribal lands, among others. These microgrids will belong to the third parties and will be sited on the utilities transmission and distribution networks. Chris, uh, Catherine Von Burge, CEO of California-based battery energy storage manufacturer Simplify Power uh, highlighted how integral grid risk distribution is and how by installing distributed energy assets like microgrids, rooftop solar and on-site batteries, no one point of grid failure can put whole communities at risk of being disconnected, much less topple the entire system. To promote the spread and support of microgrid development for the customers of the three primary California investor-owned utilities, Regulator California Public Utilities Commission has adopted new rules to facilitate future projects and commercialization. The first project is already underway at the Redwood Coast Airport, which includes some net metering schemes to offset their energy costs, as well as the ability to power both the airport and nearby Coast Guard facility in the case of grid outages. For more, search Energy Storage News PG&E Microgrid for the article by Andy Calthorpe. Energy storage so hot right now. Are microgrids uh, the, the they're the new trendy thing, aren't they? Demand response microgrids. <laughs> I think that's a great solution for the the issues that they're facing out there. This uh, also reminded me that if we are going to have a style guide, I think one of the rules should be if you write a lead over thirty words, you have to read it yourself. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, really I would like. like to point out that the actual definition of a lead is the first sentence of a story. Oh, man. I would like to point out if you want your lead to be less than 30 words, you should write it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like to point out that I did a word count of Aaron's lead. I did too. And compared and it with it. the word count of the actual story, and her lead is 30%. <laughs> of the story. <laughs> I thought you were going to say 30 longer. It's relative. <laughs> it's relative. There have been full articles written based off of Intel <laughs> announcement tweets. 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 Okay, this you're up. Style guide idea is really really inciting some good banter. <laughs> A recently approved solar power project in Humboldt County, California, is capitalizing on the benefits of the agrivoltaic technique, using the same land for both agriculture and generating solar power. Anticipated to produce four megawatts of power a year. I don't know what that means. Uh, average megawatts of power per year, or is it, is, that's probably the computer. Sure. That's probably the nameplate capacity. Anyway, the project will be manifested in a 26-acre solar array shared with a beekeeping pollinator meadow and likely sheep grazing. The county planner stated vis minor visual changes to the project site, minimal noise impacts by the panel positioning mechanisms, and low traffic impact as the only employees required on site will be those completing the six planned annual maintenance checks. President of the company that filed the permit, Renewable Properties LLC's Aaron Halimi, presented the project as a win in light of the state's uh, state law requiring that all retail sales be zero carbon by 2045. The project has received general support, according to the article, with some speculation on the visual impact and other local options for the project. The power from the project will be managed by the Redwood Coast Energy Authority, Humboldt County's energy agency, on the power grid. For more information, search for the Jefferson Public Radio Agrivoltaic article by Daniel Mintz in any major search engine, mostly Google and Yahoo. Major search engine. I really like the the note in here that the cattle grazing won't continue. They got to switch to sheep because they're shorter. Yeah, yeah it's like a maximum height of eight feet or something. Not goats. You can't do goats because the goats will jump on the solar panels. <laughs> 
at least they're short and they won't jump on the solar panels not goats oh my gosh probably not rabbit cattle also uh like they like to scratch like rub on things so they may topple the solar panels if they rub too much like and like they have to anchor them more securely pigs may try to root out the foundation uh you know we could we could just make up all sorts of stuff chicken would also want to roost on the solar panels um i really like the yeah. sheep note my brother's a sheep farmer shepherd uh not sure of the normative phrasing of that i think he you're only a sheep. shepherd if you uh if your implement is a crook he has a crook for sure oh okay um, yeah. but it's not like free range free range sheep I think it's more of a shepherd if they're free, like if you're shepherding them. I mean, just there as a barn. Anyway, this is personal information that no one is interested they in. They also they also said that the uh, the traffic impact is the employees doing the annual maintenance checks. And it's like, wait, what? How are the shepherds getting there? Like, are all the shepherds and beekeepers walking to the site? Well, it's the what? projects. The the the, yeah. the projects. You know, the transportation needs access needs. Brian's trying to cut in, and I keep cutting him off. I haven't said anything, but I, I am happy we're at the point now with solar where we know what sort of livestock is synergistic with projects. I've already moved on to the next article. You're up, Fawcett. <laughs> we can't hold back on this one. This is big news. Big so, news. Public, public service, service announcement. announcement. Season two of the best show on streaming returns July 23rd. Yes, that's right. Ted Lasso returns July 23rd. Check out the trailer to the new episode on Twitter at Apple TV or at Ted Lasso. If you haven't watched the first season, it is highly recommended. It's work to watch, right, Paul? It is not work to watch Ted Lasso. It is entertainment. It is the best level of entertainment to watch Ted Lasso. It's hopeful and positive. Ugh. I view it Absolutely. as team building training. By watching Ted Lasso, it is oh, team building training. This is, oh, maybe there's something here. Okay, who's on the events committee? Yeah, Brian, I'll, I'll bring it's an audio format. Me. It's an audio format. Brian is on the events committee. <laughs> <laughs> I, do I will that take this so to the often. committee. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're bringing back the double feature this week. This time we're talking resource adequacy with Northwest Power Pools Chief Operating Officer, Greg Carrington, followed by eWeb Power Resources Council, the chair of WSPP's operating committee and Public Power Underground's special WSPP correspondent, Matthew Trenick. Hi, Greg. Welcome to Public Power Underground. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. This is the first time I've heard about the underground, so I'm excited to see what you're all about. The newest friend of the underground, and we are we are public power enthusiasts is how I characterize us. We aren't really experts, which is why I wanted to ask you, because you are an expert in the Power Pools Resource Adequacy Program. And I'm a public power enthusiast as well. So. Yes, you are, yes, you are both uh, a key contributor to content and also the key demographic for who we're trying to target to listen to public power underground. Yep, you got me right there. So we've been talking about the resource adequacy program. We've had a few people on, Rachel Dibble, uh, Susan Ackerman, um, Greg Mendonca, to kind of talk about the different ways people are thinking about the program uh, as either load-serving entities or as you know, Bonneville is as, B, as a BA. Uh, but I thought maybe having you on uh, to dive a little bit deeper into the actual power pools involved would be great. Okay. Uh, and specifically... You know, Klatsk and I is a load-serving entity within Bonneville's BA, and trying to understand our engagement, we aren't part of the stakeholder process, we aren't um, members of the power pool, but we do watch Ask Jeff, very big fans of Ask Jeff, uh, so that's kind of the level, and we, obviously, there are lots of public webinars that we participate in when we can, but. Yeah, Jeff does a great job, doesn't he? He does a great job, and, yeah. and the editing of it, the production of it, because it's only a minute, right? It's like a yep. minute. 30, maybe even it's only a minute. Uh, yep. So great production, whoever. I, I think yeah, that's uh, Northwest Power Pool. We have our own staff that does all that production. Yep. D David Pennington, right? Did I get that right? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. I would yeah. love to be a friend of David's, not necessarily a friend <laughs> of the underground. Uh, I understand he probably has higher tastes than our YouTube videos. Um, but so what are you going to be doing to re reach out to those? Because it looks like we will have the opportunity to voluntarily participate, but we That's haven't right. been in the weeds yet. So what's the path forward? 
So we're just getting to the final stages of the design. And if the Northwest Power Pool members decide that they want to move forward and do all of their business case analysis and so forth, uh, then we know that we have to start reaching out to other Northwest Power Pool members. And up until now, we didn't know if the program was going to move forward or not. So I, I do have, we do have our lawyer at the Northwest Power Pool trying to figure out how we can open it up to non-Northwest Power Pool members and protect our nonprofit status as well. So we're, we're taking a look at that. We're, we're very comfortable. We'll be able to devise something that could allow us to do that. So then if um, once we get the authority to move ahead with that, then we plan on having a series of uh, forums for everybody that wants to participate in the program. Uh, we're thinking we'll have a series of about four forums starting out in May uh, going all the way through August of this year. Okay. Uh, so uh, we'll be able to provide a background as to what we're proposing and why, what the benefits are, the benefit, you know, the benefit costs. Uh, one of the meetings we're proposing to have Bonneville there to answer questions for Bonneville customers, and then we'll probably do a wrap up sometime in August. And so if I was an entity that hasn't been participating uh, up until now, the first thing I would do is probably take a look at the design and figure out, you know, whether or not it made sense uh, from uh, the perspective of improving the reliability if you're serving your own load. Uh, one of the other things that uh, people need to think through is do, like for Bonneville, or do you have a load following contract with Bonneville or are you serving your own load and who's going to take on that responsibility in the future? Yeah, that's a big um, question and then as for, I, for that's, that's a big question that's been a topic of conversation. I wanted to ask a little bit, you put the, the design documents on your website, right? Yep, yep. And there are a lot of corresponding presentations for that. But do you think going to the source document is probably and reading through if, if you're going to be participating in the May webinars, having that as background is really important? I think it's good background information, but the one that's on our website right now is the conceptual design and we're okay. doing the final design. So in the May, June timeframe, we'll be issuing, you know, the uh, okay. final design. So in these me informational meetings, we're going to actually provide anybody who wants to participate the next level of details associated with the design good. and more of the specifics. So that yep. the detailed design phase is going on now. You expect it to be done in May. And then that will be posted to your website. And, and that will be posted at the very minimum. We'll be able to provide more details in those meetings. If it's not on the website yet, we'll be able to say, okay, I have a very specific question about how much wind qualifies or how much hydro qualifies. We'll be able to go into the details because we'll know what those are by the May, June timeframe. Okay. What other advice, um, and in the conceptual phase, not the detailed design phase, but in the conceptual phase, what are the things you would, maybe the top couple things that you think a load serving entity like Klatsk and I should be considering going into this is kind of the high level areas where we should be thinking through the value, the value, or just the conceptually how this will work. Yeah. So, um, as I was thinking through this, you know, there's going to be the quantitative types of things, you know, the um, potential uh, reduction in the amount of capacity that the region needs. So there are going, there is going to be a reduction because there is a, a great deal of diversity across the Northwest Power Pool footprint as a whole. Remember, Northwest Power Pool is kind of a misnomer. It goes from Canada all the way down to Nevada and Colorado. There's 10 states and two Canadian provinces that are included. So when you know one entity peaks the other is not peaking and so we can if we can rely on our neighbors and we can actually share in that diversity then you could call on your neighbor and say hey i have a peak load that looks like it's going to be a capacity critical hour can you help me out and it's going to help you right it's just like the contingency reserve sharing group where if you're if you need reserves for an operational emergency you depend on the Northwest Power Pool to, and its members to help you out. Frequency response is the same way. So I think of it that way from a quantitative. From a qualitative analysis, uh, the other thing to think about is, you know, what, you, what do you do today to prove that you have a reliable system? What metrics do you use? And how do they compare to what we're proposing for the Northwest Power Pool? How do you do modeling? Are, are, are you doing modeling today and how sophisticated is that? 
what's your situational awareness of how your neighbors are situated as far as their reliability? And do you know that the BA next to you may be running into a problem? Or do you know that your neighbor has enough capacity to help you out should you become short as well? So this um, is, those are really important questions. And it sounds like the Power Pools program helps answer those components of questions. Like you're going to have a standard model. Um, the metric will be applied uh, equally across. So you'll, we'll all be using a, a similar standard, which adds, which speaks to your first point, which is that helps you be able to rely uh, on sharing your, these adequacy reserves, or probably not reserves is the wrong word, right? It's an adequacy standards ob obligations across the way. That's right. It's, it, you know, and, and right now we're focusing in on those capacity critical hours. So if you came and your load was extremely high, and you knew that you didn't have enough resources to serve your load, then the program operator that would be in charge of this is gonna be able to have the visibility from Colorado up to Canada, and will be able to say, hey, you are gonna be 50 megawatts short coming up being able to serve your load. I see that we have 500 megawatts that's available for capacity. We're gonna set up an automatic system so that we can share in those resources you would end up paying, you know, whatever the energy price is for that day for those resources. And uh, you're going to be able to get the help. And, and the thing is, you're going to be able to depend on that. You're going to be able to depend on your neighbors to be there when you need them to be there. Um, Bonneville is assessing, you know, kind of like across their footprint, but it's bigger than Bonneville because there's, you know, 20 different BAs that we're taking a look at. And then other people are interested in learning more about our program as well. So as you're doing this, you have to kind of start out like, what is my reliability today and how do I measure it? And then how much different is it gonna be if I join this program? Not only how much more does my reliability improve as a result of this, but how much uh, am I going to be able to depend on people to help me out when I need to be helped? And, and that's really what it's all about. Cause you know, the Northwest Power Pool it, it's a nonprofit organization. We just do things for our member companies. All that we really do is help with coordination and collaboration, very similar to what we've been doing since 1941. This is exactly the same thing. We're, we're, all we're doing is, is helping all of the BAs in our area to help one another. You know, we have some live examples of reliability events in August in California, as an example, right? And yeah. so what we're trying to do is prevent things like that from happening. We know that we're starting to get into a capacity critical time in the Northwest. The paradigm is changing because of the amount of coal and gas that are being turned off. And we have to be able to help one another and keep the resources you know, around uh, to help one another and not necessarily trade them to other parts of the country. So that's, so that's the way that we're thinking about it. Yeah. And, and so you're providing like this shared understanding of the current state and visibility and across a broader footprint um, in order to like enact some of this, uh, you know, tr trading, it will mm -hmm. take some, some bilateral agreements. It sounds like the power pool is not proposing a market. Uh, you're proposing the administration of a program. Will there need to be some additional uh, considerations in the WSPP agreement or those type of standard transaction documents to enable this? And yeah, the, the easier we can set it up and WSPP may be a great place to do that. Like um, similar to some of the exhibits that we currently have with WSPP, like specified source power, it would be really good if there was an RA quality product that was um, also documented through a WSPP as well. So we're, we're contemplating that. It, you know, we have to wait to finish up the design and then figure out what the wording should be if we approach WSPP about doing something like that as well. Yeah, that, uh, that big picture, great macro level conversation. I hope you're willing to come back and maybe dive into a single one of these topics at some point or another. It's yeah. great to have you on. It's great uh, technical expertise. Yeah, well, thank you very much, first of all, for inviting me. And as you have more questions come up, I'd be glad to come back and answer any questions that do come up. So looking forward to it. Love it. Thank you for being the newest friend of the underground. I'm going to send you lots of links to episodes. You can click on any ones you want if they seem interesting. You can always forward them on. I encourage forwarding any friends you have that are electric utility enthusiasts, you know. Yep. 
send them our way. We got some all right. content for them. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate thank, it. Thanks, Greg. Hey, Matt. Welcome back to Public Power Underground. Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. I have not been on camera with you for months. You've been doing the interviews by yourself <laughs> because you're so skilled at this. And I haven't actually been able to interview you, but you're back in the hot seat. I'm back in the hot seat and I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so I talked to Greg Carrington uh, in this episode. This is going to be a double feature on resource adequacy. At the end of my conversation with Greg, we started talking about the instruments for transacting under this program. There, mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be WSPP is not standing up a marketplace. They're just enabling, uh, administrating, administering a program. And then all of the transactions would be bilateral. Well, that got me wondering how we would amend a WSPP Schedule C to enable this and what the process would be if that were the path forward. And you are my WSPP special correspondent, which, you know, <laughs> Sam Amore correspondent, WSPP's correspondent. You got so many hats. I, uh, I'm glad I'm not as busy as you. It's, uh, it's going to be difficult to keep the resume on one page at this rate. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, thanks. So a um, bit of background initially, uh, what is WSPP? Uh, it's kind of an organization of about 300 electric utilities. Um, and we were created to uh, administer what has become the WSPP agreement. Um, uh, we also provide training uh, issues of interest to the uh, electric power industry, um, foster liquidity and competition. Um, and work to provide opportunities to build relationships. That's the, the whole point of the, the agreement and the group, right? Um, but what we're talking about here is the, the agreement itself. Uh, high level, it's a multilateral master agreement uh, intended to serve as the umbrella for um, all of the wholesale electric, electric trading that takes place uh, within the WEC um, by WSPP members. Um, now, the agreement includes um, specific product description schedules. We, we, we already mentioned Schedule C, that is um, kind of the Schedule C firm has become the uh, standard within the West for what is firm energy and capacity. Uh, we've also got you know, unit contingent or unit commitment, uh, economy or non-firm, uh, ancillary services, uh, RECs, et cetera. Um, Question becomes, uh, how do we modify the agreement or adapt the agreement in such a way as to um, help with the uh, Northwest Power Pools RA program um, right. in order to facilitate uh, kind of a standardization of, of a product uh, that can be traded throughout the West so that everybody knows what they're getting into, um, you know, damages and expectations are established. And, um, you know, although as a lawyer, I shouldn't say this, we don't spend all our time litigating things. Yeah. Um, there is a, there's a standing team that is part of the operating committee. It's called the contract subcommittee. Um, okay. And uh, what we've done in the past, um, uh, what we did actually a few years back in order to create a specified source um, kind of exhibit or rider to the Schedule C uh, agreement is um, created a, a task force um, uh, comprised of market participants and whatever market we're talking about. So we did it recently as well for California RA products. For example, um, that task force will, um, will basically get together and on their own time, um, finalize what they want that confirmation to look like. Okay. Um, now, the, the final product would need to be presented to the overall contract subcommittee and voted on by them. A uh, bit of a, a more informal process there, but um, the final product would be presented to the operating committee, which is comprised of uh, all of the members of WSPP. Uh, and if a vote is necessary to modify the agreement, you need 90% of the membership to assent to a vote for it to be effective. Um, in this case as well, the kind of there's also a sticky issue around the question of FERC jurisdictionality, um, or FERC jurisdiction, I should say. Um, I don't, uh, I, I think the assumption is that the, the RA program itself will be FERC jurisdictional. Um, I don't think there's any, you know, kind of asterisk here. Uh, I've heard nothing to, to um, lead me to assume that will have any impact on the non-jurisdictional entities throughout the West. Um, but uh, the, the language that we come up with for the contract may very well need to be submitted to FERC for approval before it can be used. Um, that's not always the case. I mentioned specified source earlier. We chose not to do that since okay. um, it would be purely bilateral. Um, we might be able to do something similar here where we've got two um, consenting entities that decide to modify the contract in a certain way, and um, they've got the ability to do so. And so, um, 
So on the process of follow-up there, so on the specified source, did that go through the 90% of member voting to incorporate into the standard agreement or, or was the specified source was because it's, it's just in the bilateral confirms that you attach some pre-approved exhibit? I believe it was not made a part of the formal agreement itself. Instead, what happened is the members got together and created language that they could use to affect the result they wanted to see. Um, okay. And so it, it did not become a part of the, the agreement itself. It did not have to go through that 90%. It also was not submitted to FERC for approval. Uh, the WSBP agreement as a whole is, um, it, it is something that we have to submit to FERC on an annual basis if you make any changes, et cetera. Um, and so to the extent that um, the, uh, this RA exhibit or RA rider to Schedule C that, we, uh, that, that seems to be the path that the program wants to take, um, uh, to the extent that they do so, uh, we'd have to go down that path. Um, but if we want to maintain uh, the same standard and uh, uh, kind of structure we did with a specified source, that's, that's of course an option as well. And uh, that would kind of avoid uh, that additional headache. So in the specified source, if it's analogous to that, what's the time frame to develop that type of exhibit? What do you, not to put you on the spot of how long that took, but are we talking years? Are we talking uh, quarters? Are we talking a couple months? Um, yeah. I, I think the answer is yes, unfortunately. It, it, it all depends. Uh, specified source took over a year. Uh, I don't remember exactly how long, uh, unfortunately. I apologize there. Um, but I put you on the uh, spot. You don't need to apologize. Yeah. Uh, hey, if you call it a hot seat for a reason, right? Um, we, the, we try, uh, we're the friendliest interview in public power is really what I try to do. I, I don't really want to call it a hot seat. It's supposed to be the friendliest interview in public power. So, well, uh, so far, so good. Um, good. The, uh, but, but the issue with the specified source, um, uh, I guess we'll call it exhibit at this point, is uh, or was damages. Um, and how do you determine damages with um, what could potentially be at the time of contracting an uncertain carbon price and the intent behind the specified source is to avoid um, paying uh, that additional carb uh, cost. Um, right? So there is some uh, analogy there around resource adequacy, right? The damages aspect of it is going to be complicated. I well, I feel like the damages aspect should be more, more, um, more concrete uh, than it would be with specified source, given the fact that um, it's my assumption, and this could very well be incorrect, that uh, damages will be tied to whatever penalty structure the program implements. Uh, um, okay. So if you fail to perform, you are you are assessed a penalty and the program itself will determine what that penalty is. Okay. Um, I'm assuming that damages will be tied to that. However, uh, there's also the question of if you're called upon in an RA, you know, in an event, um, so to speak, um, given my understanding of the intent behind the program, we're probably in a pretty bad way in the Northwest, so far as energy markets are concerned. Yeah, that's and, the, uh, yeah. And the, the replacement pricing um, or, or liquidated damages, if you will, could be pretty extreme. And so uh, there may be, we may need an additional layer there as well. Uh, not to mention the fact that if, you know, your failure to perform results in, for example, uh, you know, a blackout, um, you've got additional issues that you need to deal with, uh, health and safety, not least among them. Yeah. So a uh, lot of detail here. I think there's a lot more to dive into, um, which we could go on for probably hours. Uh, we probably will off camera, but that's probably enough for today. So thanks, Matt, for joining. Uh, thanks for the chat. And thanks for being willing to jump on and talk about something at the last minute. Very much appreciate it. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks very much for the opportunity and uh, hope everybody has a great day. And I'm going to take over your bit. I love it. Uh, we're going back to the underground for news. Time to check back in on the return counts for the Anadromous Championship belt. Is there a question mark in there? <laughs> yeah, question mark. <laughs> this week, we're checking in on the Anadromous Championship. So joining me is the editor-at-large of Public Power Underground, our official scorekeeper for the Anadromous Championship belt, and one of the contenders, Karen Heim. Hey, Karen. Hey, Paul. I'm glad to be here for such an auspicious occasion. Uh, I have my official documents for scorekeeping, so I am ready. It is very important to have good scorekeeping. It's also yeah. very important to have PPC participate in the scorekeeping because you have such complicated schemes for voting. I feel like you can keep up. <laughs> yeah, adding is my specialty, so I got this. <laughs> Perfect. Also joining us is the first best friend of the underground, uh, the forever champion, Lauren Tenney Dennison. Lauren, are you oh. ready to welcome a new member to the Anadromous Championship Circle? 
I guess so. I mean, I, you know, it's conflicting feelings. It's hard to pass on the belt, but I do like the forever champion. That makes it a little bit easier. I can, I can live with it. Yeah. I think I was, I'm leaning into this very like season two is a very like sappy season and we're not, this isn't like a fight for the championship. It's just a, it's a championship circle. Cause we yeah, keep coming back and we're just, the it's, love. it's a spreading okay. of love. It's uh <laughs> I like that, you know, cause if we were really doing it wrestling style, I feel like I would need like a folding chair back here yes. or something. Definitely some sort of a table nearby yes. to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it really helps like, that I'm on, like on... acrobatic flip moves and <laughs> I don't know, elbow slams. So I, I think, yes, I like this uh, a little bit more. The sappy tone is, is definitely what we need right now. It's, it's the Ted Lasso has, uh, has done it for me. Okay, Karen, we are ready for the official tally. Do okay, you have a official, rundown of appearances? Official tally. I brought my clipboard. Serious things. Got my serious stuff on here. Okay, so coming in at two, we have Almaz and Humira. At three appearances, we have Karen Heim, self, Mike Lynn, and Megan Stratman. At four, we have Kurt Miller and Lauren Tenney Dennison. But our new champion with five is Matt Shretnig. Congratulations, Matt. Matt. You are the newest recipient of the Anadromous Championship belt for the best friend of the underground because you keep coming back. Can you believe it? I, you know, I can't, Paul. I can't. It's really, um, it, it, it's nice in, in these times, especially to have a new best friend. Uh, I'm really excited. Um, Frankie is also really excited. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's an honor just to be nominated, frankly. Do you have the belt? Do you have do. the belt? I have, I have the belt. I have the belt and an infant. Wow. And an infant. Whoa. Those listening in the audio format. Frankie now has the belt. She loves the belt. Uh, it's she looks way content. better in the belt than anybody it's else. About the, uh, Frankie. <laughs> great is the belt about as big as Frankie. Great content. You can actually like double. You guys can both wear the belt at the same time. Yeah, that's the look yeah. right there. There you go. That's the look. Here we go. From from the first best friend of the underground, we got some really good content of Lauren's uh, baby kissing the belt. <laughs> And, oh, and wearing the belt. This is great content. Matt, it's a really high standard you have to meet on baby content with belts. I, I mean, he's already bringing it. He, Frankie's yeah. here today. Yeah, he brought, yeah, he brought is... Frankie to his baby's wearing the belt, but I'm wearing the baby. So, um, you know, it's, it's all relative, I suppose. I look forward to the opportunity. You know, Frankie takes her, uh, Frankie takes her modeling very seriously. And so, um, so we'll see what we can do. Um, okay we're both pretty excited though i can tell you that much <laughs> not as excited as i am i'm super stoked to have two best friends of the underground and an official scorekeeper editor at large karen heim yep i do think it's important to add the clarification that this appearance the 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 anadromous championship circle welcoming ceremony does not mm -mm. count in the official I have, tally i have made notes of such as an official scorekeeper i will remember that going forward okay <laughs> okay, but you are still eligible for the belt, Karen. Yeah, I'm just waiting for my invite to come back. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> You're going to get the invite. Uh, I don't think anyone lacks for invites to the underground. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> okay, thank you all. Great time. Congratulations to the Anadromous Championship Circle. Well right. done. Thank you so much, well, Lauren. Good job, you, you too. Good job. Okay, that's all the news we're covering this week. We'll transition right out of that. Send us any news, jobs, questions, opinions, or corrections to Paul on Twitter, at a power manager, or if you're a friend of the underground, send any of us a note. Any corrections from last week, Paul? Uh, thanks for asking, Brian. Yes, we did have one. During Matt Shretnik's interview with Roger Klein, there was some imprecise language around participation in member meetings at PPC. We are asked to clarify that PPC member meetings are member-only gatherings. So the clarification is that if your organization is a member of PPC, PPC would love to have your participation. Thankfully, I leveraged the clarification to convince PPC's executive director, Scott Sims, to return to the underground, do a better job of clarifying this point, and talk about PPC's Blue Sky Initiative. Come back next week to hear that interview. Should be great. All right. Thanks for correcting the record, Paul. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't read the numbers in the introduction today because they went one, two, four, five, I believe. You know, sometimes I enumerate incorrectly. Me up. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> it seemed like a joke. 
We'll be back next week to talk about public power and public power adjacent news. To make sure you don't miss an episode, you can sign up for an unintrusive newsletter with links to all the ways to consume this fascinating content on Substack at publicpowerunderground.substack.com. Otherwise, you can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Before you say goodbye, Ian, I wanted to clarify one thing. I didn't add it to the script. I'm also including links to the article. If you subscribe to Substack, you will get links to the articles too. Not just ways to consume our content, but ways to consume the same content we consume. Um, and, and in some ways, I'm probably undercutting the actual episode because you would just read it yourself and maybe that's better. I don't know. But if you do listen to this and thought, oh, I'd like to read that article that... Uh, Ian wrote a lead for, Aaron wrote a lead for, it, there's a link in, in the Substack uh, email. So what you're saying is much like solar producers and developers with livestock, we are continuing to innovate. Always. We're always innovating at Public Power Underground. <laughs> continuous improvement, continuous innovation. This will look, it would look nothing like this if you watch again in four more weeks. If you like this, I don't know what to tell you. If you come back in four weeks, you're, you may not like what it evolved into. I'm just saying. <laughs> On that note, that's all we have for this week. Thanks for tuning in. We're all in this together. No, this won't be forever. Give us a, a woo. Yeah, we need a We're still recording. Nice. Yeah, you guys got to give me a mute. I got to read this thing. Okay, ready? Public Power Underground is Northwest Public Power News from a Power Department's perspective presented for entertainment purposes. It's written, edited, and produced by the Power Department. The views here... Man, I got to rewrite this sentence. Somebody help me rewrite this sentence. The views expressed here are our own and not the official views of Klotzkin IPUD, nor of any personal organization affiliated or doing business with Klotzkin IPUD, nor the organization the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Neither Klotzkin IPUD nor those appearing on Public Power Underground generate ad revenue from the episodes. Make Karen, Lauren, Greg, Mike, and Matt feel better about their participation in this week's episode by sending them a note, text, or email with a thumbs up and telling them how much you enjoyed it. Do it for us, do it for them, and do it to make other people feel valued and appreciated. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground, it's work to watch.